This is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a very exciting episode for you filled with education and entertainment. At the end we're going to talk about the treasure of Pancho Villa. We're going to talk about Citrine. We're going to talk about Pink Kunzite. There were fossils and minerals and rocks and things. There were sand and hills and rings. We are going to talk about why people hate mica. We're going to talk about mining for gold in Maine. We are going to talk about a 99 million year old snail that is trapped in amber and you won't believe what it was doing. We're going to talk about a giant crocodile, copper, the metal of the future, tumbling rocks, rock hounding, opals discovered along the highway, and much, much more. Alright guys, before we get started, I want to thank you for tuning in and go to RadicalRocks.com and scroll down to the bottom and get hooked up with all our social media, check out our videos, blogs, all that good stuff. Be a part of the community. So, without any further ado, let's get into today's episode and talk about rocks, minerals, fossils, lapidary, all the good stuff. So the first thing I got, if I can open it and don't lose my internet or anything, in is about real rock shows. Um, there's a lot of rock shows with the COVID um, restrictions letting up. Thank goodness. Thank goodness we can get out and see some of the gyms and mineral shows and rock hounds that uh, gather together and show the latest finds and offer their stuff for sale. This one's called Kilgore's Corner Real Rock Shows. You go to um, Muscogree... Oh man, I I can't even pronounce this. But uh, it's M-U-S-K-O-G-E-E phoenix.com And they have some beautiful opal that is displayed there that uh, was made by the author here, by his wife. And is going to be at the Tulsa Rock and Mineral Society um, at their show that they're going to have um, coming up, or maybe already passed, in June. Looks like it's going to be the third week of June in the downtown square at the, oh, it's Oklahoma, at the Any Gym and Mineral Club. Any is E-N-I-D. Gym and Mineral Club. It started as a Tulsa Rock and Mineral Society in 1958, and they've been having this show every year. Check it out. All right, copper, the metal of the future. Um, at bullionvault.com, they've got an article on this, and it talks about how in 1974 the International Energy Agency was found because at that time there was a huge oil shortage 
and oil went from $3 a barrel to, to $12 a barrel. And they were going to try to figure out how to help people deal with the disruption in the price. Um, people will have to wait in line for gas. If you had even plates, I think you got gas on even days. If you had odd plates, you got gas on odd days. And the lines were down around the corner if you lived in a city city street, city block. Well, the with the new energy uh, initiatives and things in the U.S. and other countries around the world, we are going to have a huge strain on our copper supply. So this is uh, something of a, an investing opportunity. And Chile and Peru actually make 40% of the global output of copper. Um, but they are looking at increasing their production. There are some 224 copper deposits that were discovered between 1990 and 2019. Um, only 16 were found in the past 10 years of those 224. They're very low uh, grade, so um, we will see what happens. Maybe some more copper minerals will show up. Um, compared to copper, Aluminum, nickel, and zinc are also very much needed for um, the energy industry. But silver also is very, very important. Goldman Sachs predicts by 2030, copper demand will grow 600% to 5.1 million tons. So you better start looking for those copper pennies because they're already worth like 2.5 cents now. They'll probably be worth a nickel. So... Finding these large copper deposits is becoming rarer and rarer all the time. Um, just interesting fact. I think with all the copper mining going on, we will see um, some high grading and a few nice copper uh, minerals coming out, hopefully. And we'll just have to see. Now, the Great Falls is hosting a crystal rock and bead show. You go to krtv.com. And they're in the Great Falls area, which at first I thought, oh, this is going to be, I was thinking Great Lakes. But this is actually in Montana, Great Falls, Montana. And it is uh, going to be this weekend, I believe, the Electric City Crystal Rock and Bead Show, open to the public at the Mercantile Building in the Montana Expo Park. And they have a lot to offer there. Uh, 200 tables with 14 vendors, a lot from out of state, but a lot of local Montanans there as well. So go check that out. That's a great, uh, great state uh, with great minerals and things like that to see. So you get to talk to some of the people that are there. Um, admissions $3 for adults. Children 12 and under are free. There's a drawing for an amethyst uh, cathedral valued at $700. They don't say what the drawing is. Usually there's like a bucket ticket or something like that, but uh, it's usually a fundraiser to help the club. So you can check that out if you're in the area. Now this ancient dinosaur would give the blue well a run for his money. At abc57.com, you can read about this. It's published by Ashley Strickland. It's an updated article, um, updated on June, um, or updated to June the 21st. 
This animal is Australian. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit in the last few weeks. Um, now they're saying this thing could be up to almost 100 feet long. Uh, it's as long as a basketball court and as tall as a two-story building. Looks much like a brontosaurus. This thing is huge. I mean, I don't even know how how it could not be in water. It's just such a ginormous animal. Uh, weighed over 70 tons, they estimate. And um, the name of it was... I think it was Titanosaurus. Where in the heck is it? Uh, recovered in Australia. One of the largest creatures to ever reach the planet. They've got a picture here from the Natural History Museum. And they've got a picture of what it could have looked like. And um, just huge, huge dinosaur. It was discovered in southwest Queensland in 2007. Um, they found more and more pieces. They believe it's a plant eater. And um, it's Cooper, the largest dinosaur fossil ever found. The Titanosaurus, which they feel lived 90 million years ago. Pretty amazing. The Irish Times. Why do people hate Micah? And I don't mean a guy named Micah. I mean the mineral named Micah, right? People are protesting over Micah. In the Irish Times, at irishtimes.com, it says, uh, Q&A, what is mica and why are people protesting over it? Well, it's a mineral. Some minerals are used for more than just collecting. Um, they're used for construction materials and making things that we need in our everyday life. They used them in building blocks. Um, there was a high concentration of mica in the area where this uh, building block material came from. And as uh, they came to find out, mica does a really good job of gathering water out of the air. And there's at least 5,000 homes here in uh, the northwest part of uh, Ireland that have these huge cracks and they have load-bearing blocks that are crumbling um, the, on TV, their local station, they have people picking up these rocks and they're just rubbing their fingers together. It's just turning into dust. So this mica is attracting water like a sponge. And then, of course, that causes the erosion of these blocks to just fail. And um, also, there was another situation where they were making block with pyrite. Um, pyrite, like an iron pyrite which uh, a low-grade metamorphic rock, a mineral found uh, sometimes in sedimentary and low-grade metamorphic rocks, also was in building materials and caused them to crumble apart as well. So rocks are not always uh, the greatest thing, depending on how they're used and where they're at. Okay, so they're dealing with that issue now, a huge prehistoric crocodile called the Boss, the River Boss. Um, this creature was touring around, uh, causing havoc and uh, in Queenland, in the Queenland waterways, uh, many, many years ago. And this creature, I converted the length to almost 23 foot long. The name of it is very interesting. Um, let me give credit to the website here. Um, 
Tunisier, T-U-N-I-S-I-E-S-O-I-R.com. And that is on a website for science, um, written by James M. Patterson. And you can look at this creature. They've got a picture here. One of the largest crocs to ever have inhabited Australia. So, man, that's huge. The skull would be at least 80 centimeters long. Um, and then uh, it was 7 meters long, entire body length, which converts to about 23 feet. Now, they can look at it. They've CT scanned it, the skull. They found uh, different... Uh, they don't know how old it is. They're just guessing at this point. Um, but the name here, let's see if I can find it. The name of the species honors the First Nation people of the Darling Downs area, incorporating words from the languages of Barangam and Waka Waka nations. And the name is, and I, I'm probably going to slaughter this, Gunga Gamma Run do means river boss while the species name Manola means whole head and the reason they call it a whole head is because it does have like this whole type cavity on the top of its head um, on the skull which was actually where the muscle attached for these powerful powerful jaws that uh, were long and narrow and would snap on its prey very quickly very fast so uh, it was likely a fish eater and uh, would have to really snap those fish up pretty quick before they get away. Scientists in Myanmar found a 99 million year old snail that became trapped in amber as it died, unbelievably, as it was giving birth. So kind of a weird story, but uh, this is what they found in... Uh, Marinamar, uh, a snail encapsulated in this amber just moments before it gave birth, they estimate millions and millions of years ago. Um, live births are rare among land snails, and it may have been uh, uh, whatever. So the mother snail is still attached to her youngest offspring by a string of the mucus. Yuck, but there it is. Amber, of course, is fossilized tree resin that uh, many times has insects inside. They have a picture here. They have a video. It's a new species of snail. It's got the um, more elongated shell um, of a snail. If you're familiar with snails and you've seen the snails that are in um, fish tanks, sometimes they have the long, thin um, shells instead of the more rounded shell. This is the long um, cylindrical type shell. So very interesting that they're able to capture this moment in amber. There's all kinds of really wild things um, that have been found. They talk about a lizard that was found, a uh, hummingbird dinosaur uh, was found. All sorts of things have been found in amber. Just amazing some of the things that uh, are still being found to this day. Pretty in Pink Kunzite. If you go to jewelermagazine.com and look up Pretty in Pink Kunzite, you will see some beautiful Kunzite that is uh, cut. A lot of times it's purple. Um, I would say it's a purple pink, but uh, 
you know, this type of mineral, it, it's not the hardest rock, but it is very pretty. And um, it has a manganese, manganese in it, which gives it its uh, purple to pink color, uh, or pink to violet, they say. It is a rare type of spondamine, which is found in pegmatites, um, tourmaline areas, and uh, areas like this where you will find a pegmatite dike. If you're not familiar with that, we've done a lot of discussions on that. Um, I think most of my audience is probably pretty familiar with that. It can be brittle and unpredictable, um, but you can have some beautiful, beautiful jewelry to wear as long as you uh, treat it carefully. It's washed uh, best with just soapy water. You don't want to heat that up. You don't want to steam clean it. You don't want to use the acids or anything like that because uh, you might destroy it. But uh, they have some really pretty pictures here. you got to check it out. Um, it is being found commercially in Afghanistan, Brazil, Madagascar, and, of course, Burma, Pakistan, um, U.S., and other areas. About 6 on the hardness scale, uh, 6.5 to 7. And um, so it's pretty hard, but it does fracture easily um, if it's hit on something hard. So be careful. Came across a nice article on Rockhounding 101, Bring Out the Treasure Hunter and You. Time for a swig of coffee here. And you can find that at interestingengineering.com. It's written by uh, Marsha Windorf. And it's a nice little article here. A lot of these sites we've talked about quite a bit. Um, people who like to go rock hounding. They talk about the rules. They talk about the BLM. They talk about Moe's hardness scale. Uh, they've got a scale there if you're interested in it. One through ten. Talc is one. Um, Gibson's two. Calcite's three. Fluorite's four. Apatite's five. Um, they have another rock here that's six. I don't know what that is. Seven is quartz. Eight is topaz. Nine is corundum. Of course, ten is diamond. Um, they talk about tools that you would need to go rock collecting, uh, rock hammer, um, you know, a, a pick or a, a gad or a chisel, trowel, knife, broom, spray bottle, um, lots of chisels, shovels, gloves, eye protection, buckets. And if you're really going somewhere special, you want to mark these uh, individually where you found them and and such. So, Crater of the Diamond State Park in Arkansas. This is on my bucket list. Um, this is probably about the only place in the world where you can search for diamonds for a small fee. It's a 37-acre park. Everybody goes over there. They're limited to 800 people a day. The place has been scoured over and over again, but every few months, somebody pulls something really cool out of there, so um, it never seems to stop. Um, you have to use all hand tools if you're going to go there. Um, yellow and brown diamonds are the most famous, but there are some more clear ones. You can also find amethyst, garnet, jasper, agate, and quartz. And uh, the staff there can help you identify what you found. Um, stones as large as 40 carats have been found. There's been over 33,000 diamonds found since it became a state park. And I'm sure a few made it into people's pockets. That just didn't even want to say anything at all. Gold prospecting. You can do that at Jamestown. There is a gold prospecting adventure link there. 
that you can go. Um, it's about three hours east of San Francisco. They've been open for more than 40 years. You can check that out. Here's the next place on my bucket list, Emerald Hollow Mine Hidden Night, North Carolina. This is where you can actually mine emeralds. Um, that would be so awesome. Besides that, you can find sapphires, tourmaline, garnet, topaz, and amethyst. And they'll even help you cut, polish your finds if you want. Um, it is a fee. All this stuff is probably fee. Fossil Butte National Monument, um, Kimimira, Wyoming. They've got a um, full-size mammal fossil here um, with a fish, uh, several fish all around it, which tells me that uh, this creature was swept into the water. And um, yeah, you can go there and look at these fossils. It is a national monument. You can find fossils, but you cannot dig them. You cannot remove them. Um, I believe if you get certified to dig fossils, you can go on fossil digs in some of these areas and volunteer. But again, you cannot keep them. Juniper Ridge Opal Mine, Lakeview, Oregon. Beautiful yellow, uh, translucent, glowing um, opal. Common common opal, not, not really a fire opal, but they said there's fire opals there, uh, like a sunset. The, these stones show hues of gold, red, orange, and some pieces as large as baseballs um, can be found. They have a fee dig there where the public can dig for opals. Um, so you want to get in contact with that mine and make sure they're open before you go out there. Moorefield Mine. Amelia, Virginia, Amnazite, uh, very nice there. And uh, this was from the Moorfield Mine, which was actually a mine during World War II for strategic metals like mica, beryl, um, tantalum, and other minerals. So Amnazite is a greenish gem named for the Amazon River. And the mine is about 300 feet underground. It's uh, 2,000 feet in length. You cannot use hammers or pickaxes, but you can bring home anything you can fit into a five-gallon bucket. Um, the mine was temporarily closed, so call, make sure they're open. Herkimer Diamond Mines, Herkimer, New York. Um, if you're not familiar with Herkimer Diamonds, they're not actually diamonds, but they are these beautiful quartz crystals that have 18, uh, up to 18 facets, which make them sparkle like a diamond. Their hardness is 7.5. So um, they're still pretty hard. These are ground level. Um, you can rent a cabin. You can camp. You can go fishing. All sorts of cool things there. Um, Utah Tiffany Stone is a rare stone that you've probably never heard of. Um, but if you're a real rock hound, yeah, you've heard of it. You've seen it. And you've probably got some. Um, it's purple with uh, molten white sometimes mixed through it. This is the Utah Tiffany Stone, also known as Ice Cream opalite or purple opal. Um, it is composed of a purple fluorite, but uh, can have other minerals in it, including chalcedony and opal. And this can be found at the Brush Wellman Mine near Delta, Utah. Um, it says that uh, uh, berlinium is a silvery white metal having a atomic number four used in alloys with copper or nickel. Um, that was also mined there. It's used in aerospace, medical, and military operations. Tiffany Stone ranks 6 to 7 on the Mohs scale, so it's fairly resistant to scratching, um, but it is kind of opaque. 
So usually this one is made into capuchons. At the Tucson Mineral Show, which occurs every uh, year, February in Tucson, I like the powwow, which is uh, in January. The powwow, you can look that up in Quartzsite, Arizona. Um, you can go to any of these great gym shows in Arizona, and they have um, this year at the Tucson, they're going to have the Smithsonian Institutional National Gym and Mineral Collection. Um, you can go, actually, excuse me, you can go to Washington, D.C. because the Smithsonian Institutional National Gym and Mineral Collection is home to the famous Hope Diamond. So, a uh, pretty cool article on rock hounding and talking about some neat rocks there. A little bit of ones that we don't usually talk about, so um, that's always good. Now, how about tumbling? I didn't introduce this in the introduction. I missed this one, I think. But we've got some tumbling talk here from our friends at Rock and Gym. Just go to rock, the letter N, gym.com. Um, they send you emails. They send me emails. And you can look up these stories. But uh, they talk about unexpected find becomes a tumbling treasure written on May the 20th. Um, and sponsored by kingsleynorth.com. Bob Rush is the um, man who wrote about his 40-pound tumbler uh, and 12-pound uh, rotary units running in his shop. He's getting these stones polished um, for uh, something to attract people at the uh, mineral and gym shows that they show at the Motherlode Mineral Society, the club which he's a member. And um, he goes through the stages that he does them, and he's got some beautiful stone here that he said came out of a carnelia, but it looks like there is this Chinese writing all over this rock. And these are just some of his end pieces from some of his cuts. So he pulled it out, and he's got some pictures here. It's kind of a golden color with uh, some clear um, clear spots um, through it, and then these little markings that look like, uh, like Chinese writing. And uh, it turned out really nice, real pretty, so he can make that into some jewelry if he wants. And you can see that picture if you want just by looking that up. We've got a lot of other good gemstone stuff here. Um, mining for gold. <clears throat> I stumbled across this. Um, I don't think it's really a great place to mine gold, but maybe if you have really small kids and you, <clears throat> you want them just to find gold and you're in this area, Nate's Gold Mine, Jim Stone Jewelry and more. Um, nobody, nobody is paying me to... Um, say anything about their stuff here. I'm just sharing with you what I found here. Um, this is the Old Orchard Beach area, and I forget what state it was, but I know it's here somewhere. But they have a deal where the kids can, you know, get a bag and, and pan for gold, or they have a spot there with running water, and you can, you know, pan out some gemstones, uh, they have crystals and uh, identification uh, for rocks and minerals and things like that. Man, where was, what state was this? I forgot already. It's at uh, B985.fm and entitled Nate's Gold Mine Gemstone Jewelry and More. And I just can't seem to find out what state it was, but I thought... It was right here. It's also written by Christine Marie 
It was written on June the 10th. So I don't know if you know where Orchard Beach, Maine, Maine, Orchard Beach, Maine. You can check that out if you want to do something like that. That would be fun. Treasure Hunt, the Blue Crystal Mine, will host this weekend's Crystal Festival. Um, this is at Moab's MoabSunNews.com. This is definitely in Utah. Um, it's written by Rachel Fixen, the Moab Sun News on June the 10th. They're talking about this uh, rock show that they're going to have and um, this area called the Blue Crystal Mine. It was once a copper mine. They mined minerals such as blue azurite um, and other minerals and things of that sort. And they are open. Let's see. The mine is so unique. Blue azurite is used around the world as a pigment for products like cosmetic oil paints. Festival attenders who sign up for a rock hounding pass at the event can expect to dig through soft sand to find ball size shaped pieces of azurite from the size of a pea to chunks several inches uh, across. Now, the, this is kind of cool because this has never been open to the public before. So, um, you might want to look this up if you are in um, Utah, in or around Utah, the Blue Crystal Mine in Utah. Okay. And our friends at Mountain uh, Fire Mountain Gems, um, they sell uh, stuff mostly for beading folks, but a little bit of lapidary stuff there. They send out newsletters. You sign up for their email, and they'll send them out to you just like they do me, and you can check this out. They've got a real neat story on citrine. Um, citrine is, of course, quartz family. It's from the Latin word uh, citrine because of the pale yellow citrus color. That is because of iron. Uh, back in the old days of uh, antiquity, they called it a sunstone because they thought it was capable of holding sunlight and useful in the protection of snake bites. Uh, I would not advise relying on that for snake bites in any situation whatsoever. Um, also, they felt uh, this would uh, help wealth, and to the Romans, it was a stone of mercury and um, was used for carving all sorts of things. It is November's birth stone, so uh, that's a ways off. Uh, they talk about metaphysical properties. They talk about geological properties, which it is just similar to amethyst uh, and rose quartz. It's a mineral based on this... Uh, silicon dioxide, uh, which is a silic silicon, and uh, if you find it of gem quality, uh, it's kind of rare, but in Brazil, Madagascar, um, in Russia, uh, in Colorado, Spain, France, and Scotland, it has been found in good quality uh, at times. Natural citrine is rare. Um, it's usually heat-treated, and uh, just like amethyst or smoky quartz, Brazilian amethyst turns yellow at 878. Um, they're not saying Fahrenheit or um, or Celsius, so that needs to be found out what, what they mean by that. Um, smoky quartz changes to a lower temperature, 572 degrees to 752 degrees. I think it's Fahrenheit. This is an American company. Due to its color, citrine is sometimes confused with yellow topaz, yellow beryl, yellow tourmaline, 
Um, but uh, it's definitely got a different look to it. So if your eye is trained, you will possibly be able to recognize it. If not, um, you'll have to get a professional to help point that out to you. It's about seven on the hardness scale. Um, cleaned good with soapy water. Um, you can usually use ultrasonic cleansers unless the stone has been dyed or, or treated with fracture filling. So um, that can be hard to know what the quality of it is. Steam and stuff, you got to make sure you have a really, really good stone before you put steam on it. Um, temperature changes can cause citrine to fracture due to um, any cracks and things like that. Don't use uh, hydrofluoric acid, aluminum fluoride, and alkaline um, solutions. They will damage the stone. Um, they talk about designing with citrine, and they have all sorts of different design air, um, ideas here, so you can check that out. They have a whole gallery of designs where you can check out what's cool and what looks pretty with citrine. Now, we've got a couple more articles. One is Pancho Villa's Treasures, and the other is the Giant Opal Discovery. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this one in the beginning. I think I did. I stumbled across um, this gentleman's website here at wy-opal.blogspot.com. Um, so this is his blog, and it is really cool. Giant opal discovery along a highway. One of the largest opal deposits in the world is found in central Wyoming adjacent to the highway. Um, Dan Housel identified giant resources of common opal and the first report of fire opal, precious opal, in Wyoming um, for the source of the elusive sweetwater agate um, was also discovered here. Now he says you got to look for light gray cobbles and boulders sitting along the side of the dirt road. Many contain a thin reaction rims coated with opals within. In addition, common white, black opals, orange, red, to Mexican red opals and very rare fire opals might be likely to be found at depth. But be careful about digging holes. The BLM does not like you digging on public land. Um, it's not your land, it's theirs apparently. Also, a variety of agates including dendric uh, sweetwater agate, which is real clear and has like Dalm Dalmatian uh, spots all through it. Um, or dendrics, um, which kind of look like little fern-shaped designs. Really neat, pretty stuff. Um, I, I definitely have that on my list of lapidary material that I want is that sweet water agate. Um, Wyoming um, is a bit of a gems gemstone state for sure, um, and that is mentioned here. He goes on, as you scroll down the page to talk about dozens of discoveries um, of this opal. And um, you can see that uh, there is a picture of a beautiful opal breca. Breca um, is like a bunch of pieces that were glued back together. Um, that would be brecated or breca. So it's this honey yellow with this white brecated uh, material all through it. Very pretty, will polish up very nicely in most cases. Um, Got to watch out for the cracks. Other pieces look like fire opal, which they call Wyoming opal. Um, they call it illegal alien fire opal. I don't, I guess that's a pun. 
And then black opal from Cedar Rim. And actually there's some fire on that. That's real pretty. Little piece of fire. Blue opal in a black opal matrix. He's got a picture of that. Pretty stunning. And then more of the yellow or honey opal breaka from the Cedar Rim, Wyoming area. Blue opal from Cedar Rim. Um, kind of looks a little tiny bit like some real faded Tiffany stone in a way. Um, it, it's kind of a opalescent. I wouldn't say it's, you know, like a, it's not fiery or anything. And then some precious opal in common white opal. Uh, and another piece of glitter opal and blue opal. Um, real pretty stuff. Check it out if you can. Um, his website again is y, or, or excuse me, wy-opal.blogspot.com. And um, he's only got one comment here, so not a lot of people stopping by, but um, some really pretty stuff here. And a nice little website here. He's got all sorts of other things. Looks like he's selling some uh, books and things like that. So nice little website. Um, now for our final topic of conversation. Before we get into it, I'll remind you to go by RadicalRocks.com. Like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Help support rock hounding. Keep rock hounding alive. So, I've got this ancient book, Treasure Hunter's Digest by Jack Lewis, How and Where to Find Hidden Treasure. Um, this book is from 1975. I did a quick research on Pancho Villa to see if his treasures had been found, and uh, it doesn't seem that they've been found. Now, there's several different treasure stories about Pancho Villa. Um, Pancho Villa, uh, if you do not know, was a revolutionary um, warrior. Uh, fighting against, uh, you know, the type of government that uh, caters to big business and things like that, that we see a problem, you know, around the world, this constant struggle between uh, those who want to be the landowners and the um, oligarchs and uh, such. So he fought against that. He was actually once the governor of Chihuahua, Mexico from uh, 1913 to 1914. And uh, they've got some pictures uh, of him on this website here called um, owlallocation.com. And uh, it's under about Pacho Villa. But he actually killed a lot of people. Um, Him and his uh, makeshift army were very good at fighting and killing. There was two stories of buried treasure that uh, he came across and um, might have been lost. Um, The first one had to do with quite a bit of silver that was gotten, and another one has to do with some gold. So we don't know uh, if we're going to be able to find these or not, but um, you know he's passed away many, many years ago. Um, he was alive, I believe, up until the 1960s, perhaps, because um, this one book here states that uh, that he... Had uh, he was alive like 15 years prior to this book was 75 so like maybe 1960 something like that so um, but he was around the turn of the century in the early 1900s he was likely killed by a shotgun blast while driving through the streets 
in a Model T Ford. In uh, it says he died in 1923, so I don't know, so, some sort of contradiction in what I'm reading on one of these and the other. Um, so let's talk about the treasure. He was fighting and killing people, and he needed money um, to support his army. Uh, he was kidnapping wealthy people, and he was giving them up for ransom. They said that money could have ended up being millions of dollars. Um, he had a pay-as-he-went uh, method of dealing with his troops, so he always was loaded with a pack train full of money. Um, in Durango area, this is where they waited. Several days later, he came back. Um, from being in the mountains, and they had assumed that he had buried one of these treasures that he stole from the Mineral Bank of Chihuahua. Um, they cleared the, the vaults of the bank, and they actually tortured um, the bank manager for quite a while until he tell him, he told them where a half million dollars in gold coins had been um, hidden in one of the pillars of the bank, and so he got those. So they believe that uh, he had hid that stuff up in those mountains. And when he was assassinated, he died so rapidly that uh, he wasn't able to tell everybody, anybody where the money was hidden. But they feel that it was one of the canyon and creek beds around that area and uh, still in that vast mountain wilderness. No, nobody really knows exactly where it is. In 1916, they were hiding out in the mountains near the village of Dolores, and that was also in Chihuahua, Mexico. They'd been looting mines. Um, remember the Sierra Madre? There's also another famous mine, if you're into studying big gold mines, is Dolores Mine. Um, so these mines were um, kind of uh, being, you know, uh, pillaged. And also, you remember the um, Wells Fargo, how they would go and ship some of the valuable gold, high-graded gold and processed gold. Well, he, he kind of threatened them, too, and, and told them, you know, he would leave them alone if they paid him a certain amount of money. And supposedly, there was some letters that actually showed that, uh, that they did agree to him confidentially because they didn't want it publicized that if he would uh, just leave them alone and quit stealing all their gold, they would give him some money. So they did that. Um, some of the money that he accumulated was over $7 million in gold, and this is uh, written in 1975, so um, gold was quite a bit less than it is now, probably just a few hundred dollars, and uh, so that would be worth probably many, many times more. And a train of gold-laden ox carts behind him, um, he had to to flee uh, a bunch of United States uh, and Mexican uh, officials that were out to get him and finding his hiding places. General John J. Pershing of the Mexican territory was after him along with the U.S. cavalry um, out to go get him. And so he had just pillaged these mines and he took some men out, ordered them to dig a hole, um, and then uh, shortly after they marched out of the area, he shot them. And um, 
this was right after he had been um, uh, captured and they did not retrieve the gold. Um, one of the um, people who was seriously wounded was treated, uh, only had a few days to live. Um, they did find him. He tried to tell the location, but uh, he wasn't doing too well and did not give them good enough information. And since then, the $7 million in gold has never been reported of Pancho Villa's hidden treasure. Um, they know that uh, he probably spent a lot of it on weapons. Uh, he had cannons. He had the rifles. He had the weapons of the day. You know, Everybody was armed up pretty good. Another lady who was uh, an 80-year-old Mexican woman who said that uh, on her deathbed that she'd been a nurse with um, Pancho Villa's troops and at the time Gonzalez was being treated for his wounds that she knew that the millions of dollars in gold still laid in the ground. So maybe they could still be found um, in that area. It, it's hard to say. Um, other people feel that most of the money has been spent. Um, another article says it's $6 million worth of gold. They've got a map here. Um, Mazatland uh, is another area where some money that he had might have been stashed away. There's several different areas that uh, are said to have stashed uh, a lot of money away. Some of it was the silver bars. Um, the silver bars... It says uh, were used to support his uh, his war efforts. He stole these bars, and it was been told over and over again for many years. And according to discoveries by the University of California in Berkeley, 1996, it brings the truth to life. Um, Wells Fargo Bank in El Paso, Texas, reveals that a train was plundered south of the capital of the state of Chihuahua, um, and Pancho Villa and 200 men held up the train and took 122 ingots of silver worth an estimated $3.4 million today um, and took them and tried to cross the border with the metal in the United States. Um, he thought would be a little bit much, so we don't know what he did with all of that. Also, he arranged for a secret deal with Wells Fargo about three weeks after the robbery. He said he would give the bank the silver in return for the equivalent of $50,000, which is about a million in today's cash, it says. As a bit of value, he said he promised to protect other shipments of bullion from attack, and this would be strictly confidential. Another Letter indicates Wells Fargo was afraid of repercussions from telling other revolutionaries or the federal government what had taken place because maybe more people would try to extort money out of them. Um, he never did give back all the gold. He only returned about 96 bars. And uh, a lot of these bars were not accounted for, which may or may not be traded. Uh, I mean, may or not be uh, there, may be gone. And also, again, we talk about the story of the Sierra Madre, where these golds were taken. So those mountains would have been nearby the Sierra Madres. And um, there's not a lot of details on uh, where exactly this has. But in these mountains, um, there is a stream, the Rio Presid 
Tito, I'm probably saying that wrong, starts its stream. So that is one little clue of where that money might be. And then the bank robbery that we also told you about with the $7 million worth in gold um, possibly is buried. That might be the best one um, to look for, but um, they still conclude that uh, he probably spent a lot of that money. Now, here's an interesting thing that this website, um, Allocation, says. It says uh, Pancho Villa was, uh, uh, folklore has it that American treasure hunter beheaded uh, him, his, his dead body, and sold his skull to a millionaire who collected the heads of historic figures. He's buried in Peral, Mexico, and it is true, his skull was stolen in 1926. Um, so pretty interesting. He stole so much his whole life and ended up having his own grave robbed. Pretty crazy. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed the interesting story of Pancho Villa and the possible hidden treasures that he had. Um, maybe we can go into some more of these lost treasure stories if you like that. So with that, I want to thank you for tuning in. And remember, rock hounds don't die, they petrify.